All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. And I also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. The sponsors for the second hour of today's show, Nanostruck Technologies, Paramount Gold and Silver Corp., Columbus Gold, and Golden Arrow Resources. Well, I'm really pleased to have with me once again John Rubino. Uh, John has been with us a number of times. Uh, I hate to take a lot of time reading his bio, but I, I just can't help but do it because it's an impressive one. And there may be people out there that doesn't know that don't know John. But I'd say uh, before I get into anything else, that people should go to dollarcollapse.com. That's the best place to go to follow everything that John does. Dollarcollapse.com. Uh, that is uh, his website. It's a very popular website. He is. Uh, perhaps best known for co-authoring a book uh, with James Turk, uh, and that was the dollar collapse, uh, or the collapse of the dollar, and how to profit from it. Uh, Doubleday uh, was uh, published by Doubleday 2007. Uh, he's also written a book called "The Clean Money: Picking Winners in the Green Tech Boom." Uh, another one, "How to Profit uh, from the Coming Real Estate Bust." And uh, Main Street, not Wall Street, it was another book. And now he's got another book coming out, and I want to ask him about that as well. Uh, just a really great guy, really nice, a nice guy that I met up with for the first time uh, at the Liberty Mastermind Forum uh, in Dallas, Texas last year. Uh, so welcome, John. Really good to have you with us again. Hey, Jay. Great to be back. Really good to have you. Uh, talk to us uh, very briefly. Uh, take 30 seconds to a minute and talk about your your new book that you're co-authoring with James Turk, and, and when will it be available? Sure. It's called The Money Bubble, and uh, the premise is that all these bubbles that we've uh, dealt with for the past 30 years, junk bonds and tech stocks and housing, were really just little mini-bubbles within a bigger bubble uh, of fiat currencies. The, the world is just flooding with uh, new paper currency being created on in, in ever-increasing amounts. And when that bubble bursts, everything changes. So this is a book about uh, how, how the money bubble blew up, what's going to happen when it bursts, and how to invest for that eventuality. It's out on um, in ebook format right now. You can buy the Kindle uh, version on Amazon and elsewhere right now. And, and the um, hardcover version will be out in uh, within two weeks, probably. Oh, good. Okay, and they can order it through your website. Uh, yeah, can they, well, or they go, they are through uh, through any of the main book uh, bookstores, I suppose, as well. Yeah, you, you can you can buy it in any electronic bookstore right now, and it'll be on Amazon in in paperback format when it comes out on the fifteenth or so. And uh, if you would like to be put on the uh, the mailing list to be notified when it comes out, you can email me at uh, john at dollarcollapse dot com, and I'll, I'll send out a blast email on the day the book is available. Excellent. Well, I am on your list, so I trust uh, that I'll be seeing that and get the heads up so I can get a copy of it as well. I look forward to it. I know both you and, and James Turk have been uh, uh, good friends of mine for a number of years and uh, have been on this show a number of times. Uh, I'll always uh, highly value uh, the thoughts of both of you, so I'm really pleased to know you're, that you've done another book. Well, we've just been talking to Dimitri Speck about the gold markets, uh, which have been battered beyond belief, down, down, down. Uh, hit very, very hard. 
Dimitri's written a, what I think is an excellent book. I don't know if you've had a chance to read it or not. The Gold Cartel. Are you familiar with it at all, John? Uh, I'm familiar with it, but have not had a chance to read it yet. Oh, I, I have uh, have a copy of it. Have not read it cover to cover, but have uh, have gone through a good portion of it. And I must say that if there's one source that sort of brings all that the gold antitrust action folks have been talking together talking about, if there's one source that brings all of that stuff together or a good portion of it, the meaningful meat of what Gad has been putting together, I think that uh, Dimitri's book, The Gold Cartel, does that. But he talks about, um, he's convinced that there's an international manipulation of the gold price uh, to, you know, to take the gold price down. What, what are your thoughts about that? Oh, I think the evidence is overwhelming that that's the case. And we shouldn't be surprised because gold is money. And uh, major countries intervene in their currency markets all the time to move the dollar versus the yen versus the euro around. And so it shouldn't be a surprise that they do the same thing with gold because it's a competing form of money. When it goes up, that's the same thing as saying the dollar goes down. So it makes the Fed and, and Treasury Department and the rest of the government look bad. So they don't like that. And with a fiat currency like the uh, dollar and the euro and the yen, perception is everything. If people mm-hmm. lose faith in the management of the dollar, the dollar evaporates because it has no physical reality. It has no intrinsic value. So it's life or death, literally to maintain the facade of uh, competent management of the dollar. And one way that the governments of the world do that is by depressing the price of gold. When gold goes down, that means inflation is low and the, the other fiat currencies are, are well managed. And so that's the, uh, the image they want to project. And, and one way they do that is by um, manipulating the price of gold in various ways. So, yeah, I, mean, I, th- I think it's... it's um, intuitively logical that they're doing it and the evidence is overwhelming that they're um, intervening in very specific ways in the market to keep the price down. Mm-hmm. Indeed, well, Dimitri points out, and I think there's something like 10 examples or so in his book where he uh, where he suggests gold should have rallied and should have re- even spiked up higher, much higher, but in fact it went in the opposite direction. And uh, one of those examples that he pointed out was the Cyprus crisis. He noted that uh, you know gold got slammed pretty hard, but at that time, uh, surprise, surprise, Bitcoin took off, and uh, you know we when people started to um, uh, to question. Uh, you, you would think question the the veracity of the monetary system, <clears throat> and naturally go to gold, but they went to Bitcoin. And Dimitri says, uh, really, what you were saying a minute ago, uh, that the reason government does this is to keep people conned into staying with the fiat money. And uh, it, it seems perfectly logical to me uh, if um, you know if people started if they if they saw the gold price tanking. At the very time that the dollars, you know, that, that people started questioning the veracity of the financial system. Uh, but if gold goes down and goes, gets hit really hard, then that's not the place to go, obviously, right? So it was uh, pretty, pretty obvious that, I mean, it would be a very bad thing for the financial, uh, for the existing uh, financial system if people lost confidence in the, uh, in the fiat money and ran into gold. Yeah, Cyprus was was something that really should have sent gold through the roof because basically for people who aren't familiar with what happened there uh, some Cypriot banks got in trouble and uh, instead of the government just bailing out the banks they they took money out of bank accounts in order to finance the uh, uh, the, the recapitalization of those banks and so all of a sudden your bank account isn't yours anymore and that realization should have just rocketed around the world and sent people out of bank accounts and into forms of money that the government can't just take away you know with the legislative stroke of a pen so that and that should have been gold and silver so gold and silver should have rocketed when uh, when banks started looting bank accounts and that it didn't uh, kind of implies that there was some other action going on behind the scenes so yeah I, I agree with Dimitri completely that uh, um, as part of the Cyprus bail-in Governments around the world also attacked gold and silver at the same time in order to uh, to smooth the process. So, yeah, and and as you said, the fact that Bitcoin soared at the same time gold was going down is another indication that uh, that that people were responding the way they should have to Cyprus. They were getting out of um, bank accounts and moving into things they didn't think governments could manipulate and loot. But it was Bitcoins, because nobody was trying to depress Bitcoins at the time. And so they, they were free to be bid up. And so that's where you saw a lot of money flow. 
Yeah, it's it, it's interesting too because about that time, yeah, that's when Bitcoin really got its started to get gain some traction, I think, in the market. Um, but you know, there's uh, there's a service that um, I don't know, it's an email service, uh, uh, an e letter, if you will, that is sent to me. I get I get it all the time, <clears throat> and this. Uh, Outfit uh, is really seems to be selling Bitcoin very hard. They're really putting the hard sell on. Uh, it seems they have videos and the like, uh, and they've come up with five big advantages of Bitcoin over gold. And I'd like to run a few of these by you, uh, John, if you don't mind, and, and get your response to it. Number one, they say uh, the first reason is because unlike gold, the supply is absolutely fixed. Uh, you know, I think there's no doubt about that. I think what is something like 24 million bitcoins, or there's some there's some uh, there's some finite number of bitcoins that can be created. Uh, so, how do you respond to that to that argument? Yeah, there, there's an algorithm that controls the increase in the bitcoin supply um, up to a predetermined limit. Mm-hmm. So, yes, well, w- within the uh, the confines of that algorithm, the supply of bitcoin is limited and it grows at a, a predictable slow rate but that's the same, the same thing is true of gold you know gold has gone uh, the increase in the supply of gold has been about 1.8 percent um per year for the last thousand years <laughs> you know it, yeah. you, you can't get new gold except by digging it yeah. out of the ground and we've only been able to dig out so much each year and, so, and, and i might add just just like as i understand with bitcoins it becomes harder and harder to mine subsequent bitcoins the same is true with gold and silver and other natural things in the ground it becomes more and more costly and difficult to get that incremental allowance of gold out of the ground oh yeah we found all the easy stuff and yeah. now it, the the new deposits that are being discovered are much lower quality. There's there's a lot less gold per ton of ore um, in in the newest mines, which is bad for the mining business. You know, it's not it's not great for our mining stocks, but it's great for the um, the value of existing physical gold because it means the supply is is just not going to grow um, at a rate that exceeds past rates for the foreseeable future. Uh, and so so we're looking at. Um, a growth in the gold supply of about the same um, rate as the growth in population of the Earth, which is exactly what you want with the money supply. You know, you want it to grow at a steady, predictable rate. So, so um, there is yeah, an it, 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 yeah. So there would come a time. There would come a time, John, when Bitcoin would hit the wall, when there wouldn't be an ability to produce enough of it, just as mm-hmm. maybe conceivably is true of gold. Down the way, down yeah. The way. I mean, gold is going to—it's going to grow asymptotically. You know, it, it's always going to grow, but the, the rate seems to um, have flattened out, and mm-hmm. it's either not going to increase or it's going to decrease over time, and, and that's fine. You know, there, there is no um, there's no issue with the supply of gold that's a negative for gold. And so, re- so really, with regard to this first argument, unlike gold, the supply is absolutely fixed. Uh, it's it's kind of a not a very serious argument. No, no, gold gold's Gold has some issues, but supply growth is not one of them. Okay, a second reason, uh, Bitcoin is real currency, gold is not. In the uh, article, uh, and I just quote here, it says, it began when, that gold uh, began not to be uh, a currency when President Roosevelt confiscated America's gold during the Great Depression and when Nixon took the United States off the gold standard in 1971. What is your response to that argument? Yeah, well, this is really the big one. You have to understand the difference between money and currency to make any sense out of this whole gold-Bitcoin thing. Um, Currency is what we use for transactions. You know, the dollar is a currency. You can buy and sell things with it. Money, on the other hand, might be a currency or it, it might not be, but money is something that we save because in its ideal form it has a physical reality um, that, that doesn't involve counterparty risk. You know, the, the dollar only has value if someone keeps a promise. Okay? Mm-hmm. So we, we can't really save it effectively because we're depending on somebody else to maintain mm-hmm. the value of the dollar. Bitcoins also don't have a physical reality. So if you've got bitcoins on your computer hard drive and your hard drive crashes, you lose those bitcoins. If you're storing them in a, an online service, and that online mm-hmm. service disappears, which has happened quite a bit lately, then your mm-hmm. Bitcoins also disappear. So Bitcoin has counterparty risk, like mm-hmm. any other um, fiat currency. And because of that, it's not an effective savings vehicle. You know, you, you can't um, 
have a big Bitcoin account as your main asset and then sleep well at night because you never know if it's just going to disappear. On the other hand, with uh, gold and silver coins held in your hand or stored in some safe place, uh, nobody else has to keep a promise for your savings to maintain their value. Mm-hmm. So currency is, is a very useful thing, and money is a very useful thing, but they're kind of separate things. So you, you yeah. can't really say, well, gold is not a currency, therefore it's defective, because gold is money. You know, it, it doesn't have to be a currency Although it's possible to set up a you know a gold-based Bitcoin-like system, which I think people are trying to do right now, where you get the best of both worlds. So I think the uh, the future of money is very possibly a kind of a two-tiered system where you have gold and silver as your your rock-solid savings, which are guaranteed to be there and which you don't have to worry about, and then you have some kind of a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin or one of its successors as the as as the thing you transact with. Mm-hmm. So you keep a relatively low balance of Bitcoin, but you use it for buying and selling. You keep a relatively large balance of gold and silver, and use that as your savings, the thing that you, you keep forever, and you know you delay gratification, don't spend it, you hold it because it's going to hold its value, and, and your, your capital is going to be preserved. And so, mm-hmm. so they both have a role to play, and they're not really competitors. You know, they're, they're only competitors right now, or perceived to be competitors, because one, people don't understand the difference between money and currency, and two, um, one of them is being manipulated downward by the government, and the other one is being allowed to run free. So <laughs> in, in a, in a, on a level playing field, things would look very different right now. Well, that's for sure. I mean, Bitcoin actually did uh, reach the same price or exceed the price of gold. I want to ask you, when you talk about a Bitcoin backed or sort of a bitcoin backed by gold uh certainly your partner your co-author james turk his gold money story sounds a little bit like a bitcoin backed by gold how is that that's different in that there's no fixed amount i mean it can grow right the the amount of gold money can grow yeah but 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 what does gold money have to do to become that i guess is what i would like to ask you yeah that's that's technically beyond my competence but okay. uh, I, I know James is looking into it. He's very interested in in the um, the intersection of oh, he would um, be, precious of course, metals. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. And and uh, we have a chapter on um, cryptocurrencies in the book in the money bubble that we're just putting out. And and uh, the conclusion, without giving anything away here, the conclusion is what I just said that uh, um, it, it's very possible that the future of money is a combination of those two concepts. You know, precious metals for physical savings and a cryptocurrency that's beyond the reach of national governments. For transactions, so which, which by the way, leaves the big fiat currencies out in the cold. Nobody needs dollars or euros or yen if you've got a, a fully functional cryptocurrency account and gold and silver savings. Mm-hmm. Well, you can imagine that the uh, powers that be will try to, to undo that if they can, I suppose. But uh, just to remind folks listening again, that issue is addressed in many, many more in the money bubble. James Turk, John Rubino. The dollarcollapse.com is where you can go, and as, as John said, you can uh, put your name, uh, just just send him an email, and he will be glad to let you know when the book is available. I'm, I'm certainly going to get a copy for myself. Uh, that's uh, three of those issues, John. Let's see, the third one is central banks. Uh, the third uh, advantage that this uh, newsletter says, uh, the newsletter, by the way, is Money Morning. It's called Money Morning. The third re- reason they say bitcoins is superior to gold is that central banks can't manipulate the price. What do you well, say to that? Right now, that's that's completely true. But I, I wouldn't say they can't. I, I would say that they haven't tried yet. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're aggressively trying to manipulate gold and succeeding. But mm-hmm. what, Jay, we have to find time to talk about why that's going to fail pretty soon. Okay. <laughs> okay, but, uh, let's do that sometime yeah, soon. Yeah, definitely. very soon. Yeah, and uh, but but in, in the case of bitcoins. Um, Bitcoins haven't become, they aren't important enough yet for governments to really focus on them. And when the time comes that they become an actual threat, uh, in the way that gold and silver are a threat to the fiat currencies of the world, you'll see governments look for ways to manipulate Bitcoin. And there are lots of ways they can do it. They can, uh, I think it was in Germany that they just um, decreed that uh, Bitcoins are an asset. So that you have to declare capital gains uh, on them yeah, sure. when you, yeah, when you when you buy buy them low and then buy something else with them at a higher value, you've mm-hmm. generated a capital gain. You have to pay taxes on that, mm-hmm. and 
meanwhile, we, we've got the NSA out there with a budget of thirty, forty, fifty billion dollars or whatever that they're, they're hacking everything in sight. And so yeah. the idea that they're not going to try to hack the um, the algorithm that controls the supply of bitcoins is kind of silly. Of course, they're going to do that as soon as bitcoins becomes important enough for them to care. Mm-hmm. And so at that point. Um, your Bitcoin account out there becomes vulnerable to hacking by the government or whoever, and uh, the, the Bitcoin exchanges become manipulatable, and and the supply of Bitcoins may fall under the control of governments. We we don't know, you know, and I, I wouldn't even pretend to have any kind of technical expertise that lets me know how all that would work. But um, it's a safe bet that they're going to try, mm-hmm. and it's also a safe bet that they will find a way, one way or another, either regulatory uh, a regulatory method or just hacking to gain control over these cryptocurrencies when the time comes. And at that point, see, right right now, Bitcoins is a force for human freedom. It's breaking us free of control uh, by government central banks. But let the government hack that system, and, and it becomes the opposite. It becomes a, a tool of control by the government over us, because if they got control of our Bitcoin accounts, then there's no FDIC insurance, there's no physical reality. They can just make our accounts disappear anytime they want to. So people who speak out against some government program might find themselves impoverished when their mm-hmm. Bitcoin account just disappears. Sure. And there's nothing they can do about it. Yeah. All right. So uh, so maybe that's why you want to have some physical gold and silver in your hands. Uh, number four, the fourth reason, and, and my engineer is telling me we only have a few more minutes, four or five to be exact. Bitcoin is super liquid. He says if you own physical gold in your home and want to sell it, you have to grab it, put it in a car, drive it to the local dealer. There's always the concern you could be robbed in the process. On the other hand, Bitcoin is a super liquid currency. Not only can you buy and sell basically 24-7, you can chop it up into extremely small slices. Your comments? Well, that's, that's exactly the same thing you could say about the dollar or the euro or, or the yen. You know, a right. currency, you know, we're back to the currency versus money thing again. Yes. A currency is extremely convenient. But it has counterparty risk. It's not risk-free because you're depending on somebody else to keep a promise. And so, yes, bitcoins for transactions uh, might even be better than dollars and euros and yen. You know, it's extremely liquid. It's friction-free. It's I think it's cost-free to uh, to do transactions with it. So, yeah, you know, as far as it goes, as long as it's a functioning currency, it's a great currency. Mm-hmm. And you may want to have a Bitcoin account for convenience, but you don't want it for savings. That's not where you put your life savings. Mm-hmm. And therein lies the difference between Bitcoins and gold. So, so to compare them in that way is apples to oranges. You know, sure. Money yep. is one thing, currency is something else, so they, they don't always have the same characteristics. A related uh, fifth reason that is given by uh, Money Morning uh, for Bitcoin being superior to gold uh, Bitcoin possesses the ultimate in portability. Let's say you are fortunate enough to own a half a million dollars worth of gold or about 415 ounces. That's nearly 26 pounds worth of metal you'd have to cart off uh, if you wanted to move it uh, in the event of an emergency. And again, with Bitcoin, however, no such challenges exist since this is a, a virtual currency. It lives in uh, online uh, at your hosted wallet. Of course, as you pointed out, John, those wallets can be uh, picked out of your pocket sometimes, and uh, your Bitcoins can disappear, but they're not uh, addressing that, this money morning that's very much in favor of, uh, of Bitcoins. Uh, so, so they conclude that you can access funds from anywhere in the world as long as you have an Internet connection. I guess you have no qualms with that. Again, it's just the, uh, the issues that you've already raised. Yeah, uh, comparing bitcoins to gold, it makes less sense than comparing it to other currencies. You know, the dollar and the euro and the yen versus bitcoins is an interesting argument. But gold is a separate thing. You know, it's uh, yeah, it's not as portable if you've got it at home, but a bitcoin account is is very portable for hackers too. You know, if they, they find your account, they get in there and get your password or whatever, then they can definitely um, get away with your bitcoins with very little trouble because they don't weigh anything they have no physical reality they're just bits yeah and, exactly uh, you know you you type in a number hit send and it's gone you know it's it's in yeah. someone else's account cannot be traced so um yeah. I, I think you know you're doing a, a service for your listeners if you um can convince them not to put their life savings in bitcoin just because it's a, a hot idea right now 
Okay, bottom line is it might be good for transactions but not for savings, and, and there, I, I guess, is a lot of uncertainty with respect to transactions at this point. But it is true, John, that a lot of mainstream people are saying a lot of great things about it. I mean, I, I see that uh, Virgin Air is accepting Bitcoins, or at least was, for payment. Bank of America came out with a report. I couldn't believe how positive it was. Warren, uh, Bill Gates and Eric Schmidt, the chairman of Google, are all complimentary of, uh, if not embracing it. So there, it's, it's really a, a very interesting, perhaps one of the most interesting, most important stories of uh, after uh, S- the Snowden story, I think one of the most important stories of 2013. Well, my engineer is telling me we only have a couple of minutes left, and I want to ask you, you have written an article, I think, and this gets to, I, I want to find out where you think we're going in 2014. The article, What Blows Up First?, you know, you and I believe, John, and as you were talking about earlier, that this uh, this uh, this game that's being played of money printing is not sustainable. It's going to break down one way or another into the future. So, talk to us just briefly. Give us a minute uh, of your time to talk about what blows up first. Uh, and I believe you're you're suggesting it's Europe, and and why? Yeah. Well, 2013 was a year in which a lot of imbalances build up, but didn't blow up. And so soon, a lot of these things have to reverse out. And um, as you said, Europe is one of the, uh, the, the prime candidates for a near-term blow-up. And that's because the, um, the Eurozone, the European Central Bank, has, has operated with relatively tight monetary policy for the last year, which has caused the euro to go up versus the dollar and way up versus the yen, because these, those latter two countries have been aggressively monetizing their debt. And so with the euro going up, that makes it harder for European exporters to sell stuff overseas and slows down their economies, other things being equal. And, and, you know, France and Italy, places like that, they can't afford to slow down. They were barely recovering at the beginning of 2013, mm-hmm. and now they're dropping back into recession. And you've already got massive unemployment. You've got really angry people in those countries, and mm-hmm. you've got totally dysfunctional governments already You know that re- require extremely fast growth just to be able to maintain themselves. Mm-hmm. And if, if they drop back into recession, you get chaos. And mm-hmm. so it's easy to see um, <clears throat> political chaos in Europe leading to major stock market corrections which spread around the world and, and Europe being sort of the, uh, the snowflake that hits the mountainside that causes the avalanche. You know, it's completely mm-hmm. possible that a, a European crisis could metastasize. So yeah, I, I think it, that's it, one we need to watch. And that's one, of course, that the main, main mainstream media are, are uh, sort of suggesting that everything is uh, back to normal or close to it in Europe. So, uh, yeah, it's a, a very good point, John. And unfortunately, we're out of time. Is so much more, as always, uh, you know, gold. Let, uh, just to ask you this, though. Uh, your prediction for gold, higher or lower this time next year? Oh, uh, I think higher. You know, year-ahead predictions are really hard because these markets of course. don't move the way they should in the short run. But, you know, China for the past year, has been buying up more than all the gold that's available from gold mines around yeah. the world. Just China, and which yeah. leaves you know, nothing from gold mines for the rest of the world. So we're seeing a developing supply crunch in gold, where, where vaults are being emptied out, and, and the, uh, the amount in storage on the COMEX and other metals exchanges that is available for futures contracts to be uh, converted into physical gold is dropping dramatically. And so we could easily see a default in the year ahead where a big bank tells its customers that it can't have the gold they've stored with it or uh, the COMEX defaults or something else happens that, uh, that illustrates and illuminates the supply imbalance in that market. And then we'll see gold gap up by $100 plus a day for a, a lot of days. <laughs> and, yeah. and everything could change in that market in, in really yeah. a heartbeat, just a week or two. Well, I notice there a lot of exchanges around the world are being developed now to trade precious metals. I would guess because people are uh, people that really do value the physical holding of gold as opposed to the what I would say the gambling casino uh, that we have at the Comex and the LMBA. That that uh, that those people like the Chinese and others around the world who really want to take physical possession of gold know that the COMEX can't deliver against that paper, right? And so is that what's, is that what's driving this, this mania? For oh, this? I, I, I think it's completely understood within the gold market that, mm-hmm. uh, that we've got a huge um, supply crunch coming. Some sort uh-huh. of short squeeze is yeah. looming out there just based on the trend lines, you know, the, when, yeah. when they cross. <laughs> you know, when yeah. uh, demand exceeds supply by uh, such an extreme margin, which is coming, 
then something has to give. And so people see that. They see it coming, and they're preparing for it by setting up exchanges. You know, the Shanghai Gold Exchange is one of the busiest in the world now. Yeah. And that's basically funneling gold into China. And these and are physical so, markets uh, as opposed to the COMEX, which is really just uh, over, you know, only uh, like 100 to 1 paper to, to physical, right? Yeah, that's a fractional reserve gold market, just like our yeah. banking system, where, yeah. where you have a lot of claims versus very little actual reserve sit, sitting mm. there to supply yeah. those claims. And yeah. uh, let, let the claims exceed the, uh, the reserves, and yeah. the yeah. system breaks down. So, that, yeah. you know, that, that could happen any time. could be a bank. Well, uh, and, and, and this is the reason, John, and we are out of time, this is the reason that people need to own gold and take advantage of these low prices because when the dam breaks, there's not going to be any ability to buy the stuff. I think that's, that's what's coming our way. So, uh, John, we're out of time. Always great to have you. Uh, you. I've made a note of a couple of topics uh, that we'll be talking to you in the near future about. So thank you once again for being with me today, John. Thanks, Jay. Happy holidays. And happy holidays, happy new year, happy and safe new year to you and yours as well, John. Take care. Okay. Take care, Jay. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back after the break with Daniel McAdams of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. Don't go away. We all be right back. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. Paramount Gold and Silver is a U.S.-based exploration company with multi-million ounce gold and silver deposits. Paramount's primary asset, the Sleeper Gold Project in northern Nevada, is located in one of the world's most prolific mining districts. Paramount's gold equivalent resources stand at over 7 million ounces. Paramount trades on the NYSE under the symbol PZG. For more information, go to www.paramountgold.com. Paramount Gold is located for success in gold and silver exploration. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me a regular guest and friend of this show, Daniel McAdams. Of the, uh, he's the executive director for the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. And for those of you who may not be familiar with Daniel, although I think most of our regular listeners certainly are, he uh, served as a foreign affairs and civil liberties and defense policy advisor to Congressman Paul uh, when he was in Congress. Welcome, Daniel, to uh, Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Hi, Jay. Thanks so much for having me again. Really good to have you, and uh, I, I know that uh, you're working hard uh, for the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. It is a it is a wonderful website for people who care about liberty and freedom and care about our Constitution. Uh, and uh, so we want to talk about some of the serious issues that are posted there. Uh, I saw a survey, I think it was on Bloomberg, that said the biggest story for the American people in 2013 was the Edward Snowden revelation that our government is behaving more like a dictatorship than a democracy. Uh, America certainly is starting uh, to resemble what, in my view, uh, having read about Nazi Germany, um, resemble more of that kind of government than the country which I thought uh, our my father and various people at that age fought for in World War II to try to destroy the, uh, the tyranny of, of the Nazi tyranny. Uh, but, you know, Ron Paul's Institute, you have a, uh, a transcript of an interview you did on Russian television, and it's headed up, NSA has become a four-letter word in the United States, which <clears throat> sort of implies what I was just saying about Americans really uh, have, have seen this as a very serious issue. Uh, there is no doubt uh, that there's some blowback against the United States government for its police state tactics, but how far do you think, Daniel, 
this anger uh, against our government for its uh, destruction of our basic human rights, how far will the American people take this? Well, I think it remains to be seen, and I think we can't forget that they still have plenty of tools in their toolbox. You know, the uh, the pro-police state people. Um, the poll, as far as the polling numbers, you know, there are some things to be encouraged about. You know, right after the Snowden revelations came out, the the Pew organization did a poll that found out that the um, the majority, 56 percent, felt that the um, the government was going way too far uh, collecting information on us. And the 70% believe that the data is not really being used for what they say is not being used uh, just to fight terrorism. Mm-hmm. So that's a good sign. But, you know, they, they will fight back. They have uh, so many supporters in Congress, unfortunately, and on both sides of the aisle. Uh, Peter King, the uh, chairman of the Homeland Security Committee, is, uh, is very dedicated to this uh, destruction of our civil liberties. And look, you know, uh, 60 Minutes... Uh, did an episode, uh, was it last week, a couple weeks ago, which was a, a real whitewash of this whole NSA thing. It's only the Americans don't really understand what's happening. It's too complicated. And so I think, you know, they have a lot of propaganda tools left. But the numbers are encouraging if we can keep them up. It kind of reminds me of economics, Daniel, where they say economics are too uh, are too complicated for Americans to understand. So we're just going to throw these fancy equations at them and and uh, snowball them to hell. Exactly. So, uh, don't let them read Hazlitt. <laughs> don't let them read uh, the Austrian school. Don't let them. Don't let them. Um, don't don't let them put the real world together with uh, with economics because uh, they want to keep it detached. And I think yeah. the same thing goes with foreign policy. Well, in your interview with, uh, I guess you did an interview with Russian television. Uh, they asked you about the hackers' congress. That's apparently something that was taking place then in Hamburg, Germany, and according to Russian television, that they're trying to make people aware of encryption and privacy issues. How do you view the role of hackers in this war to protect our natural God-given rights? As you know, our Constitution noted that it's not government that gives us our rights. Our rights are natural. They're given to us by God, the Creator, or the uh, if you don't believe in God, by, by natural law. Uh, yeah. uh, and And so... Uh, how I mean, are these hackers going to be? Are they? Can we depend on hackers, or can the hackers be bought out by the NSA and its major uh, its its major war chest? Yeah, that's why I feel a little hesitant. I mean, I think obviously, if um, if the government <clears throat> is trying to keep secrets that it has no business keeping, if the government's breaking the law, then lawbreakers, quote unquote, such as hackers, might might be assistant to us, but. If you look at the other hackers' conferences that, that go on all the time, you always see the head of the NSA, the head of the CIA is addressing these hackers. And that's no. not to say that, that that makes it illegitimate, but remember the intelligence uh, agencies, intelligence community, they desperately need hackers. And so mm-hmm. they infiltrate these groups. They want to be part of it. They want to address uh, their conferences. and. Most recently, to, to their credit, they, uh, there were a few boos and hisses when General Alexander was addressing this group, uh, one group of hackers. But I think, you know, cautiously optimistic, but, you know, that's the sad <clears throat> thing about this police state. You don't know who to trust. That's how it was in East Germany. You couldn't trust anyone. So, sadly, it feels like we're getting to that point. Yeah, and if you're in the shoes of a young fella, a young lady that's come out of the university, you got to pay off your uh, student loan, uh, and you're given a job and a big paying job uh, by a government that has endless funds, which it creates out of nothing. Then uh, you know it would be very difficult for young people to say no uh, yeah. to going to work for for the bad guys. Sure, sure. You know, and it's exciting. They make it sound uh, uh, very attractive. Lots of travel and fun things. So yeah, yeah. you're right. Yeah, and then you've got the Peter Kings of this world telling you what a great thing uh, Nazism is. Yeah, in his own way, yeah. I mean, he, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't use the word. He would probably uh, like to throw people like, uh, like us in jail for even accusing him of being a Nazi, uh, of being a, a fascist, I think is probably yeah. a better word. Uh, yeah. but, uh, but that economic um, fascism is not so difficult to understand, is it, Daniel? It's really uh, corporate, corporatism. It's uh, corporations and governments passing laws to circumvent the, the marketplace, essentially. So, um, sure, yeah. Absolutely. yeah. 
Well, it, uh, so um, I'd like to ask you a little bit about another, uh, some more material that's been put on your website, uh, the NASA, the NSA lawsuit. Uh, there, now, there have been two rulings on that, one in favor of liberty and then the second one going against uh, the first ruling overturning it. Um, to, to update our listeners a little bit on that, Daniel, on the two rulings. Sure. Well, the second one wasn't really overturning it. It was just a competing opinion, and that really oh, okay. uh, that will send it more toward the Court of Appeals and probably eventually to the Supreme Court, I think, is, uh, is the ultimate. Um, uh, however, I think you know, the one part that, that uh, Judge Pauly, who did the second ruling, which, as you say, was against us, uh, i.e., we freedom lovers, the one point he did make is that um, it really isn't just up to the judges to decide. The other two branches of government do have a role. And I think that's probably one of the few good points that he made in an otherwise, I think, terribly flawed, and I'm not, a, I'm not an attorney, but a terribly flawed judgment, uh, just philosophically. And if I can just touch on a couple of quick things, you know. Sure. The one thing that he said, you know, he, he said that um, this blunt tool, i.e. the metadata collection of all of our telephone information, uh, it only works because it collects everything. So he's saying that, uh, sorry guys, the only way we're able to protect this country is if we collect everything, nothing can be uncollected. So it definitely encourages the NSA and these other group organizations to go bigger, do get more. More is better. And that's, that's troubling. Uh, the second thing he says, which is, it's just troubling, is that he said under Section 215 of the Patriot Act, um, you you are not supposed to know the investigations that are taking place under Section 215. Therefore, ACLU, which is the one who who who, who introduced the lawsuit, you, you have no right to challenge us because you weren't supposed to know about it in the first place. The only reason you know about it is because an illegal act released it, i.e., the Snowden revelations. So it creates in the Washington Post. Uh, there was a Washington Post writer who pointed this out very well. It creates sort of a Kafka-esque nightmare where the government, even if it were doing something objectively, completely illegal under Section 215, you're not allowed to challenge it because you're not supposed to know about it. So mm-hmm. what, a, what a joke and what a chilling effect that has on our liberties. Um, of course, uh, as, as you and I know, Ron Paul warned about this at the very beginning when they were trying to pass the Patriot Act. Um, yeah. But, but the other well, thing, if I can say really quickly, yeah. I think your your viewers particular, your listeners particularly, will be interested in this. He said, you know, the right to be free from searches and seizures is fundamental, but not absolute. Uh, and then he went on to say, this is a quote. You know, basically, it's no big deal that the government does this because, quote, every day people voluntarily surrender personal and seemingly private information to transnational corporations, which exploit that data for profit, and. Um, if you think twice about it, that shows a fundamental lack of understanding between a voluntary uh, commercial transaction that you and I and so many millions of others make and an involuntary collection of our personal information by the government. Yeah. And to confuse those two, those two, I think, is absolutely egregious. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I couldn't agree with you more about that. But I just don't understand how... How did we lose this sense of liberty, the the rights of the individuals, when it was so ingrained in our uh, in our uh, in our in our society? Uh, you know, with the founding fathers. I mean, what people don't seem to understand the dangers of this. What is to keep government, if nobody's allowed to know what government's doing? What is to keep government from witch hunting anybody who they don't who disagrees with their policies? You know, what is to keep government from uh, throwing Austrian economists in jail, for example, for for suggesting that that uh, that printing money is thievery. Sure, I mean you could make that you could make that argument. It's a it's a danger to our national security to have Austrian economists running around. And you know, and what about Christians? I mean, what's to say you know, that Christians who uh, who think there's a God and God isn't Obama that they shouldn't be thrown in the they shouldn't be thrown in the in the in the clinker? Yeah, it is dangerous. Or 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 murdered. You know, sure. I mean, you countries say, do that around this world. Countries kill people for their religious convictions and their faith. And our founding fathers were very concerned about that. As a matter of fact, the pilgrims came here in, in part because of religious persecution. So now, I mean, there is a growing evidence that uh, that a lot of uh, re- religions could be uh, in harm's way as well from from this sort of poli- evolving police state that we have here. Sure, and, uh, and, and you so, ask what what has given them the the impetus to do this and. 
and it really was fear, and the fear came from the 9-11 attack. You know, they, were, they yeah. have exploited that to the hilt. And, you know, I did a little piece on the Ron Paul Institute website today about Walter Pincus, who writes for the Washington Post, and he had this terrible article saying that even the very anemic reforms to the NSA that have been suggested by President Obama's task force uh, would be terrible because um, uh, any, any reduction could make us unsafe. And, and listen to this. Talk about a, a cheerleader for the regime, you know, for the police state. This is his conclusion. If there is another attack, today's complainers may be as much at fault as the intelligence community. So that's so, us. That's you and me. Yeah, that's... yeah. So we're going to be just as responsible uh, as, as the guys who bomb this country if it happens again because we're complaining about collection. Well, that is a police state. That is chilling. That is very, 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 very uh, frightening, I think, Daniel. This is where our country is headed. And we don't mean to scare people in this show, but, but people wake up and realize that what we have coming here is it's, it's not a Sunday afternoon walk in the park by any means. We're going to have a lot of difficulty ahead of us. That's why the Ron Paul Institute is out there to warn people, to let people know uh, I don't know what we can do because, you know, honestly, Daniel, my congressman doesn't give a rat's behind uh, that I vote or don't vote for him. I don't give him any money. Uh, corporations give him money, and they own him, and they get what they want written into the legislation that is never read by 90% of the congressmen because it's too, the, the legislation is too big and too onerous to even read. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it is, um, it, we need to be, people need to be woken up, and, and, and uh, my fear is, that what happens is going to be too late. It maybe already is, uh, but unless people really start to understand what I think is going to happen, my fear, Daniel, and, and we have to shut it off here, I say, is that, um, is that we're going to have an economic collapse, a calamity of some kind, and that will be the excuse for martial law or something like that. Do you think that's, that's am I, isn't that crazy in suggesting that's a big that? danger, and you know, that's what Dr. Paul has always said. You know, we're going to figure this thing out soon because we're running out of money. And yeah. that's, I think when it gets ugly, I think you're right. Well, on that uh, not-so-happy note, I do want to wish you and your family a happy and safe, I can't underscore that word enough, safe New Year. Prosperous, uh, we'll take that too. But first of all, happy and safe, I think, is uh, the first two things I would wish for you and your family. Daniel, and thank you very much for coming on. I wanted to talk to you about the Dulles Brothers. We'll ask you about that perhaps next week. Thank Great. you so thank much you for so being much, with Jay. us. Okay, thank you. Well, folks, don't go away. I'll be right back with a few uh, a few ideas about where I'm suggesting people should put their money as we head into 2014. Uh, so don't go away. I'll be back uh, with that and also some remarks about next week's show. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Golden Arrow Resources on the TSX Exchange has recently made a new silver discovery and is presently drilling a 6,500-meter program on that discovery. A maiden resource calculation is expected to be released in April of this year. The project is located in Jujuy Province in northern Argentina, just 30 kilometers from the Perquitas Mine operated by Silver Standard. Golden Arrow has an experienced team with decades of experience in Argentina. Golden Arrow offers shareholders exceptional leverage with an exciting new silver discovery. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Well, uh, I don't know if I can say I hope you enjoyed today's show because there's too much, uh, too much um, danger talked about, too much unhappiness, too much depression, frankly. Uh, that uh, that you know, especially we talked with John Rubino and Daniel McAdams about. I think also Dimitri Specs. A discussion of how the gold markets are manipulated, and that is so key to understanding the tyranny 
and the fascism that has uh, become a part of our country that is very much at the core of our economic system. It has nothing to do with free market capitalism. And anybody that tries to say that our problems are caused by capitalism is clearly uh, out to lunch. They don't know what they're talking about because we have been uh, we have been drifting away from free market capitalism to a greater and greater extent, and it is accelerating now. And that's why our liberties are at stake, and why we're really facing some real, uh, I think, some real serious dangers uh, as we head into 2014. Well, I'm just going to tell you briefly uh, how I'm suggesting an allocation in the portfolio of my newsletter. We've got 40% in gold and silver shares, 15% in gold and silver bullion, 5% in energy and tech stocks. Uh, we have a short on the S&P 500, 10% through SH. We're also using a TBF to short the treasuries at 15%. We got a 7.5% the Japanese, a short the Japanese yen and a 7.5% short the Japanese treasuries. That's how we are, uh, how I'm suggesting an allocation and I have justified it. If you sign up for my newsletter, you can read about uh, the justification for those allocations and why I think we need to be very, very careful as we head into the, uh, I- into the new year. Um, this will be the last week of our two-hour show on Voice America, at least for now. Next week, we will have a, a two-hour show as well. But the second part of the show, you will need to go to J. Taylor Media, J-A-Y Taylor Media, to listen to the uh, second, uh, second part of the show. Uh, so all you need to do is go to J. Taylor Media and push the podcast. Just click on the podcast, podcast button. Uh, and it will take you right to the show. Uh, we'll be sending out a notice to those of you on our mailing list to let, to, uh, make sure that you have the exact URL necessary to tune right into it. It will immediately follow the, uh, the first hour of the show, uh, but we will be, uh, moving to the second hour of the show to J. Taylor Media, uh, instead of, um, instead of Voice America. Now you will be able to download all of those shows, um, uh, by way of a podcast. And you can listen uh, at 4 o'clock Eastern Time. The show will be available to you there. So as soon as I leave Voice America, we'll transition over to J. Taylor Media. Next week, our special guests uh, will be uh, Gold Mutual Fund uh, Manager and Austrian e- Economist Dan Oliver. Uh, and also Hedge Fund Manager Bill Lagner will be with us. And Bill has some really interesting ideas that I was uh, going to bring up with John Rubino and didn't have the time. Uh, some of the ideas that Bill is looking for. Bill believes that we are going to see a, a fantastic year for the gold shares. And uh, he is also very bearish on, on the equity market, very bearish on the bond market. In fact, I think my model portfolio uh, allocation is very, very close to, uh, to those that, uh, that Bill is talking about. Um, so Bill Lagner will be with us the second hour of next week's show. I uh, expect to have Daniel McAdams and uh, probably another guest or two with me as well next week. So I, I hope that you will tune in next week and then uh, over to uh, J. Taylor Media for the second part of next week's show. Uh, in closing, I do want to thank our um, my uh, producer, Tacey Trump, Matt Widener, my engineer, making this show logistically possible. And I'd like to wish each and every one of you a happy, safe, and, if possible, prosperous new year. We're going to do our best to make that happen. Uh, but first of all, as I said to Daniel, a safe new year uh, is what we wish for everyone. Uh, so thanks to each of you for listening, making this the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.